It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got questions about the Josh Smith promotion, double-A call-ups, the Southern League, and poor catching performances. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered with more odds, props, and lines than ever before, because BetOnline is where the game starts. So first question here uh, is about the Josh Smith promotion. Uh, Josh Smith uh, prospect for the Rangers promoted over the weekend, uh, and just kind of asked more to, like to know more about him. It was a Rangers fan who didn't know a ton about who Josh Smith was. So, number nine prospect in the system. He was part of the Joey Gallo trade last year. So Ezekiel Duran and Josh Smith, a couple other guys, come over for Joey Gallo and a guy going to New York. And. Uh, Second round guy in 2019 out of LSU, small bit of bit of the smaller side. He's a short king, 5'9, 175. Uh, he's been playing middle infield, but it's something where had a great year in 2021. And granted, this was split between um high A and double A, and it was split between High A Hudson Valley, the New York system, High A Hickory, the Texas system, and double A Frisco. But Combined stats, 309, 429, 535. 13 home runs, and then 26 of 31 on stolen bases. So offensively, looked rather advanced in 2021. Uh, The numbers were better in Hudson Valley than they were in Hickory. I think part of that may have just been new organization, things like that. But anyway, hit pretty well. Has been at Round Rock this year. And the numbers are not as am- amazing, but still very, very similar. 273, 382, 422, 8 to 12 on stolen bases, four home runs, and 40 games. And the home run thing isn't as worrisome as you would think. Um, you, Josh, you're, you don't have Josh Smith in there for power hitting. And his season did get delayed for a little bit because he, um, he, had some some little mild injury stuff, but you've got Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon there in the middle infield. So everybody who is in that middle infield for Texas has to have extra versatility. And that's something that Josh Smith does. He hits the ball well. Max velocity is an eye-popping, but it's good enough. And he can take a walk. But then defensively, one of those super utility guys that can probably end up playing four or five days a week for you. Um, third base, shortstop, second base, left field, center field. He reminds me, and this is not a comp, but he reminds me a lot of like a Chris Taylor is kind of like his ceiling. The guy who can go out there, play just about anywhere on the diamond outside a catcher and maybe right field and can absolutely make things happen for you. So probably a ceiling. He got called up. Um, it's been, it's been as of time of recording, it's been five games. Um, So he's had 12 at-bats, he's got five hits, two runs, a double, two walks, 
one stolen base. So the slash line's like 417, 588, 500. But again, very, very small sample size. Point we're trying to make here is um, another guy that you've seen draft, uh, not drafted, promoted out of double A. And there's always a little bit of risk involved with that, especially a guy like him who has a grand total of 75 games above high A. Always some risk. And I think that like we've seen so many double A call-ups this year, and I don't have the exact numbers. It feels like we've seen more than usual. And I think there's a few reasons for this. And I think the, uh, so the first reason is we're seeing some of the impact of the lost 2020 season. Guys, teams have had guys in the organizations, and they oftentimes, not every time, oftentimes, put them right back into where they were um, before the missed season. When in reality, you know, think about the difference in you from age 23 to 24 or 22 to 23 or 19 to 20, like how much you could have potentially grown or you did grow personally. Uh, A lot of these players were able to progress and grow. And so if you just put everybody for the most part back where they were, with the exception of the guys who were at your alternate site, then you're going to have guys who are behind uh, of probably where they need to be right now. So I think I think that's part of it. He's a guy, you know, I'm, and I'm not saying that, that, that that's him. He didn't have 2020. 2021, he was in low A and high A. But I think that's part of the explanation why you see a lot of guys going through from double A straight to the bigs. And like, this is their first taste of double A. Uh, a great example is, I think, is Michael Harris. Michael Harris is a guy that, you know, was at the alternate site and really grew more than they expected. And so when they started him off in A-ball last year, probably didn't need to be in A-ball. And, you know, it's it's situations like that that I think are contributing partially to this. But then also you're seeing a difference in how much upside a guy has. This sounds anathema to say. So a lot of people are going to be kind of confused or frustrated by this. But apparently a truck just backfired outside my window. That's not what you're going to be upset about. Um, Not every prospect is valued by their organization. The organization has a value on the prospect different from what we might value a prospect. And the hard part is we don't know how organizations value prospects. The prospect apparatus, we don't know what valuation a prospect has. Um, And so for us, it may be, oh man, they're promoting him after 45 games in AA. I really hope they don't screw him up long-term because he's an important piece of the organization going forward. They might think, it doesn't matter if we screw him up because he's not a big part of our plans going forward. Uh, So I think part of it is that as well, where the bigger the role they're going to have for you, the more impactful a lot of this stuff is. And if it's somebody, you know, and I'm not saying that they don't care about Josh Smith, but what I'm saying is they just spent half a billion dollars on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. In the front office of the Rangers, they probably think we've got the middle infield ha- handled for the next five years. So if we have a lower-rated prospect, which um, Josh Smith was the 24th prospect last year in the Yankees system. He's right now, I think, around the ninth or 10th prospect in the Rangers system. 
but a prospect who's not necessarily part of their long-term plan, they're more willing to be aggressive, promote him from double-A straight to the bigs, because if it doesn't work out and he ends up not being the player they thought he would he could be, it doesn't matter because they weren't expecting or they weren't counting on him to do a lot. In Josh Smith's case, I think that they legitimately picture him as being that super utility guy. He's got some of the best strike zone discipline in the entire system, great contact ability, and then again, that versatility on defense. So I legitimately think they want to use him um, four or five days a week. But not every prospect is like that. And sometimes you can call a guy up, and if it doesn't work out, you can send him back down, and you're not necessarily concerned with the long-term consequences of if it works out or not. And in just a minute... I want to get into, I got some great questions about the AA Southern League, uh, but first today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Athletic Greens. I literally use AG1 every single day. I started taking it uh, because I've had to take supplements and vitamins for a while. I have celiac disease, and so because of that, um, I'm allergic to gluten, so I have a gluten-free diet, but then I struggle to absorb nutrients when it comes to my food things like that. And so rather than taking supplements and stuff, I found that AG1 is everything that I could possibly need. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, and probiotics. Um, it's, I mean, it's lifestyle free. It's, I'm gluten free. It's good for me. If you're dairy free, it works. If you're vegan, if you're keto, if you're paleo, uh, it works for everything. It's less than $3 a day an investment in your health and it's cheaper than like going out and buying cold brew every day or buying all those supplements yourself. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water each day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, a couple great questions here. I really, I really love these questions. Um, and the f- first one is, hey, Lindsay, I went to a Chattanooga Lookouts game recently. Uh, it's a Reds affiliate in AA. And relief pitcher Andy Fisher looked to be really good. What's the story on him? Okay, so unheralded guy that we hadn't necessarily talked a lot about. 2029, uh, sorry, 2019 undrafted free agent out of Illinois. And he was really good in college. So senior season, transferred into Illinois, 7-1, 2-5-7 ERA. Made the all Big Ten team. Uh, and his, you know, his arsenal he's throwing out of uh, high 80s fastball. He's a lefty, so fastball velocity, even for a lefty, is a little un, like below average there. Uh, good curveball, I'm sorry, good, good changeup, nice biting slider. He throws it all out of a three-quarter arm angle. And so you got some pros and some cons here, right? Um, con, like pro, lefty. Lefty pitchers are inherently harder to find. Con Average is, or velocity is below average, even for a soft tossing lefty. You know, it's very rare nowadays to see a fastball below 90 miles an hour in the big leagues. I mean, there's changeups that are 90 miles an hour. So, um, yeah. Khan, he's 26 years old. So he is, he is old for a prospect. 
And we talked the other day about age isn't necessarily a default good or bad thing, but it's important context that you have to pay attention to. Um, but when he was in college, a good depth, he had eight starts where he went six plus innings. And he, he's pretty good at inducing ground ball contact. So I think this year he's sitting about 44%. But in the minors, he's been, like in previous years, he's been as high as, as 65% ground ball rate. Uh, and so something where he's going to keep the ball on the ground, uh, give your defense a chance to make plays. And they've moved him to the bullpen in an effort to see if, if he goes max effort, can he get a little more velocity out of it? I think that there's, there's a place to use him. A second division reliever kind of feels like that's probably the ceiling on him. But I do agree. I think he's better than double A. Um, it's just something where, you know, he's in rookie ball in 2019. Then he goes to A ball for the very end of the season. I think he gets like 10 games or something in. Because uh, it's, you know, he played a full season. You lose 2020. So 2021, you start him off in A ball. And he goes through A. A and then, and then high A. Whereas... If you had a 2020 season, he would have been a little bit far. He would have been in double A probably in 21, triple A in 22, and getting called up right now. So combine the fact that he was a redshirt senior when he signed with the fact that you lost a season of progression through the farm system like you typically would do and a lot of systems would do. I mean, they plugged him right back in where he would have been had the year last year not happened. You get a guy who is better than his level. Um, and, and somebody who is probably, I, I mean, I would look for him to get moved up to AAA sooner rather than later and see if he can contribute towards the end of the year or early next year uh, for Cincinnati, assuming it all comes through. And then the other guy um, that he saw when he was there as well is um, Taj Bradley. So a lot, we're a lot more familiar with Taj Bradley, starting pitcher, for the Rays, number three overall prospect in that system, 2018 fifth rounder out of high school. And um, when I tell you he broke out in 2021, let me tell you, he broke out. So he was in rookie ball in 2019. That's it. 2021, 23 games, 12 and three with a 1.83 ERA, 103 in the third innings, 123 strikeouts to 31 walks with a whip under one between A and high A. So, absolutely tore it up. He's continued that same kind of pace here in 2022. He started nine games already. He's 2-0, 220 ERA over 41 innings, 51 strikeouts to 10 walks. The whip is still under one. I believe it's .88 right now. So, still under one uh, in AA. And just last Wednesday, against the Mississippi Braves, he went six innings, four hits, one run. It's a solo home run. Uh, with one walk and nine strikeouts on 73 pitches. So, uh, Taj Bradley, very promising prospect for the Rays, and he just keeps getting better, right? So, uh, the fastball is plus. It sits in the mid-90s now. It's obviously gotten faster coming out of high school. Uh, He can touch 96 or 97 with it when he needs to. Uh, The slider is plus, and the thing that's great there is it pairs like this is sorry back up this is a newer pitch the slider is newer that he kind of broke out in the minors versus when he had it in high school uh he was throwing a curveball a lot with that fastball but the slider pairs better with the fastball 
Um, Flash is plus. He can throw it for a strike, and then he can also get you to chase it out of the zone. So being able to move that around both ways is really useful, a great ability of his. Uh, Changeup is at best average, and yeah, I think he probably needs to figure out what that third pitch is going to be. The changeup's better than the curveball, but I think that's probably the big thing that's going to hold him up for a little while is just figuring out what is that third pitch going to be. Is it going to be the change? Can you make the change better? Is it going to be a curveball? Or do you throw in some sort of other, do you teach him a splitter? Do you teach him something else to try to give him that third pitch? But yeah, he can, he can get strikes. He can, get, um, he can make you chase out of the zone. And then what's great is very smooth tempo uh, to his delivery. Very, very easy delivery. He's not overexerting, overworking. So it feels repeatable. Feels like he can do it over and over and over again. And he's gotten better at fixing minor mechanical adjustments like in games versus in the cage and in the bullpen afterwards or a couple days later. Like figuring out, okay, this is off. Let me fix it in the middle of an outing. Rays are historically conservative with their pitchers. So I absolutely see this as something where he spends probably most of the year in the Southern League, in Montgomery, and you're looking at something like a mid to late next year when Tampa Bay finally brings him up to actually use him. And again, nothing against him. That's just something where where Tampa is traditionally slow with these guys. I mean, Shane Boz was good enough to start a playoff game, but he didn't come up last year until toward, almost the end of the season. It, they're, just, they're just slow with it, and it's because they have enough talent at the big league level where they don't have to rush a guy along. Because um, Tosh Bradley looks fantastic. I mean, his May, he had a 106 ERA, four starts, 23 strikeouts and 17 innings. I mean, he's a very, very good pitcher, as is right now. But they've got time to help him develop that third pitch. Again, changeup versus curveball. The changeup's better than the curve. Um, hopefully he can figure out something to be a third pitch so he doesn't just rely on those two pitches on that fastball slider combo to get out of everything. But very good, very promising. He's rated number three in the system for a reason. I mean, he really is. He's a good, he's a, he's a good pitcher. Uh, I'm very excited once the college season ends, I'm very excited to get to Montgomery and see him pitch in person, go sit in the press box and, uh, and just watch him pitch and file some reports for y'all about uh, what he looks like. And in just a minute, I do want to, um, to cover some catching questions. Uh, but first, speaking of college, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Uh, as I record this, uh, late on Sunday, they are finalizing the round of regionals. We should know most of the super regional participants by Monday. I think there, there may be a one or two uh, game seven if necessary. I think the Coral Gables regional is behind a bit. Uh, but... We're going to know pretty soon who is making, um, who is going to be in Super Regionals. The 16 teams left fighting for the chance to go to Omaha. Um, BetOnline has your odds for that. They've got the news. They've got the odds. Um, for college baseball, they've got MLB. They've got the, um, the basketball championship matchup. You know, the NBA Finals. They've got the, uh, the hockey conference finals. They've got MMA, UFC, boxing, all of that stuff. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Bet Online is where the game starts. 
Okay, so with the Adley Rutschman call-up, somebody asked me the other day, uh, with big league catching being so bad, do you expect to see more catchers called up? And multi-part question here, right? Because the first part is catchers are bad. Okay, so when we're saying catchers are bad, what we're talking about is the production you are currently getting from big league catchers. There's only like nine teams of the 30. Um, correction, there are nine teams out of 30 that have le- gotten less than one-third of a win above replacement from their catchers at this point in the season. Um, and there's only a handful of teams that I can legitimately say like, hey, these catching this, this is a good catching situation. You have good catchers. I'm like, the Phillies, JT Real Muto, he's worth like, a, like 1.5 war already. Uh, Jonah Heim for the Rangers. Travis Darno for the Braves with William Contreras behind him. Uh, Omar Navarez with the Brewers. With Victor Carantini behind him. Tyler Stevenson with the Reds when he's been healthy. Sean Murphy with the A's when he's been healthy. Um, Jose Trevino has been pretty decent for the Yankees. And, you know, smaller sample size. But still, it's just something where, like, a lot of, a lot of, I think that's the entire list of guys that have at least one war at this point in the season. And we're, what, one third of the way through? It's something where you look in the free agent market last year. Six catchers signed deals for guaranteed money. That's it. One of them was Pedro Severino, who's been suspended for 80 games, hadn't even played yet. Of the other five, so it's uh, the Cubs signed Jan Gomes to two years, think like 13 million. Manny Pena signed with the Braves. He's played very little. He got hurt. He thinks he's out for most of the year. Kurt Suzuki signed with the Angels. Uh, Roberto Perez signed with the Pirates. And Robinson Chirino signed with Baltimore. So, um, Gomes, Suzuki, and Pena have positive war. None of them are higher than 0.5. I think it's like 0.5, 0.2, 0.1, something like that. Roberto Perez, even. So, zero. He's literally been replacement level. Robinson Chirino's has been worth almost negative one. So, the fact that Adley Rutschman didn't get called up to start the season has kind of single-handedly meant the entire free agent class has contributed zero war to the game of baseball this year. And so part of this, and so this is one of those like pet theories that I have. I don't know this is true, but this is a theory that I have that it kind of comes back to pitch framing. And I'm not a guy who yells about pitch framing and gets mad about pitch framing. Whatever, that's your job. But that's kind of the point, is a decade ago, pitch framing was this unique skill that some guys had that was an added benefit to their defense. It was something that they could do, not many other folks could, and it was a competitive advantage if you can do it. Now, just about everybody's good at framing. It's become an additional requirement of the job. So you're still, you're still like on defense now, you're still blocking, you're doing your game calling, but you also have to work on framing. And so it just feels like another thing that we ask catchers to do. And because we've given them more and more work, their offense has started to slip a bit. We are in a slump right now when it comes to catchers being good at offense. 
If you play fantasy baseball, you know there are only a handful um, of good offensive catchers right now. And other than that, it's a wasteland. And I think it's because we have catchers, like they're all really good at framing because they have to be, because teams won't play you if you're not. But because of that, you're spending so much time working on that to go along with game calling, the wear and tear that catchers have, uh, everything else involved with catching, that offense has fallen to the wayside. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm intrigued about the concept of automated balls and strikes in MLB. Because we all see the umpire scorecards on Twitter. I hate when you see, you're watching a game and the box, the white box is up there and you see a glaringly bad call. I mean, it is three inches below the zone and it gets ruled to strike and the batter's out and everybody's just dumb. Pitchers are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky SOB. And the, the, the hitter's mad. He throws his bat. He gets thrown out. Umpire, uh, the manager gets thrown out. All that. Like you hate to see that. It wasn't. A, he's le- he's legitimately right that that was a bad call, and he gets thrown out for arguing it. So I'm intrigued about the concept of automated balls and strikes. And I know that it's going to take something away from the sport, from the, the art of catching, because catching's more of an art. And there are guys who are really, really good, or they're great at framing, and they're going to lose an element of their games like to automated balls and strikes. And that's going to impact them in free agency. That's going to impact their earnings. But everybody's good at it. If you're not good, you don't make the MLB level anymore. And so when you lose framing, as a job requirement, you can get back to the things like controlling the run game, um, calling pitches, and then, you know, maybe actually being able to hit competently. So we're at the point now where nobody really, for the most part, other than a couple guys, um, yeah, like for the most part, nobody really gets shouted out for their ability to frame anymore because everybody can do it. Uh, it went from something where you had guys who were bad, guys who were decent, and guys who were great, to everybody's decent, and some guys are a little bit better. So I think that automated balls and strikes is going to fix some of that. And then I haven't even gotten to the, the actual question yet. Do I think more pitchers, uh, more catchers are going to get called up soon? I don't. Teams have been very, teams have shown, like even with a guy like Adley Rutschman, the Orioles were very conservative with him. There's belief among scouts. He could have came up and played last year. Uh, Teams have been very, very conservative. We've seen it's so hard to find a good catcher, and most teams are not getting a great contribution from their catcher that you're not afraid to take below average production for a little while while you've got a prospect, a top prospect in the oven baking. You don't want to pull him out before he's ready. And so they're fine taking below average production at the catching spot offensively as long as they're getting good defense until that prospect's ready because it's so hard to find a prospect that is a good offensive catcher. I mean, the last guy I can think of that that has panned out offensively as a hitter, um, as a catching prospect right now is what, Will Smith? I mean, it is hard to find an, a good offensive catcher. And so teams are okay with 
we can take a substandard performance now because we know when this guy comes up, we will be better than average and it'll be a competitive advantage for us because the variance, the delta between the best offensive catchers and the worst offensive catchers, I feel like is bigger than the variance between an outfielder or a shortstop or a third baseman or something like that. So, especially if you're a rebuilding team like the Orioles, you're fine being worse for a, for a little while to be significantly better later. So I don't think you'll see catchers called up early. I think if anything, you're seeing them probably take a little too long to get called up. And part of that goes back to college uh, with so many college coaches calling the games, pit, you know, calling pitches from the dugout. And so these guys aren't learning game calling. They're not learning how to set stuff up. Anyway, great week this week. Um, our mock draft drops tomorrow. Uh, me and Jeff from Locked On Guardians go back and forth alternating. I have the first pick. I am picking on behalf of the Baltimore Orioles. Very excited. So stay tuned uh, this week for uh, the mock draft and more MLB draft talk as we go all the way to the draft in July. Um, very excited to be here. But until then, this has been Locked On MLB Prospect. Mm-hmm.